Hello and welcome along to another episode of the Greenlight Podcast from Active Consent. In this podcast, we explore how consent, sexual violence and relationships are depicted in and shaped by pop culture, from Hollywood to TV shows. Today, we have all three hosts with us, including myself, Caroline West, Charlotte McIver. Charlotte, how are you today? I'm great, Caroline. Thanks. So excited to be here with some of my favorite women in the whole world. Oh, get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> and then we are also joined by Alex Black. Alex, how are you today? I'm so good. And I'm really, really, really excited for our conversation today. I've been looking forward to it for a couple of weeks. Yay. Happy days. Happy days. Well, look, we see a lot of sex on screen these days, but have you ever wondered what it's like to be the person creating that sex scene or how close actors really get under the sheets when they are acting out a steamy encounter? Well, to explore this is the legendary Ida O'Brien, who is an intimacy coordinator and movement director for film, television and theatre. Since 2014, Ida O'Brien has been developing best practice when working with intimacy, scenes with sexual content and new in film, TV and theatre and she's also developed the Intimacy Onset Guidelines. She's pioneered the role of Intimacy Coordinator which is gaining adoption in leading production houses including HBO, Netflix and the BBC and she's also been featured widely in the media across the whole world and is a very busy person so we are delighted to have her joining us today. Ida, how are you? Hello, Caroline, Charlotte and Alex. Um, I'm really good um, and it's an absolute pleasure and delight to be here. Fantastic. Hey, great. So, Ida, we're your biggest fans, but for those who may not know, can you tell us what is an intimacy coordinator? What is your job description? So an intimacy coordinator is a practitioner who brings a professional process and structure to the creation of intimate content, as you said, in theatre, TV and film. Just like um, a choreographer would do if there needed to be a dance, if they needed to have a tango, of course, you're gonna bring in a choreographer, they're gonna teach the steps and then they're gonna choreograph really clearly, honouring the director's vision, honouring the storytelling. You know, if you think of Baz Luhrmann's tango, Roxanne tango in Moulin Rouge, which I absolutely love, you know, can you imagine saying to those dancers, okay, talking about it, and then just going, you know, and talking to the dancers and then just going, OK, we're just going to leave it. And then we'll just throw you in front of the camera and we'll just get on with it on the day. That's how it has been with intimate content before. Or if you're doing a fight, a stunt coordinator is going to teach the actor skills, how to throw a punch to pretend like you're hitting someone. But obviously having really good techniques of eye contact, distance, how you're going to do the nap. And then you're going to go on and choreograph that moment really clearly. That's exactly what we do with the intimate content now is we bring in that open conversation, making sure that the vision is known, the text is interrogated. Um, then we're checking out the actor's agreement and consent. And then finally, we'll get it up on its feet, just like the choreographer or the stunt coordinator will choreograph really clearly. Um, again, we're about practitioners who um, have, you know, are body aware, you know, um, choreographic skills, anatomy skills, um, and bringing all of that to having really good and clearly detailed, choreographed, intimate content that serves character, serves storytelling, serves the director's vision, and allows the actor then to bring all of their beautiful skills as an actor of this character's intimate content to the scene and creating really good work. 
Wow, that's an incredible description. And, and to pick up on one thread of it, because in your bio, we talk about you, you're, you're also a movement director and you've used a lot of metaphors there about stage choreography um, in terms of fight choreography, but also dance. Can you talk then about how your background in movement and dance feeds into how you have pioneered this role of intimacy coordinator? Absolutely. Well, you know, for me, it's, it's absolutely come from that, first of all, that um. But what I feel I'm, you know, is, is being brought to the industry is just extending the bog standard, you know, professional and open actor director process um, to the intimate content, just like they do to any other scene. And the reason that it hasn't been there before now is without a professional structure, directors, you know, have been left, you know, of course, a director knows that they've not expected to know how to you know, perform a tango. So of course they're gonna bring in a choreographer. Of course a director isn't expected to be able to throw a punch. So of course they're gonna bring in a fight director or a stunt coordinator. But with sex, well, we all do sex. We're sexual beings. That's who we are as human beings. You know, can I procreate? Can I survive? So why do I need an expert? And in that area, in that thought, um, you know, what? Um, then of course the aspects that that weren't taken care of is that just like a dance or a fight, there's a risk, you know. So the risk if a dance isn't taught properly that someone might hurt their ankle, a risk if a fight isn't, you know, to techniques aren't taught properly that someone's nose might end up halfway across their face. So of course they know that they're mitigating that risk by bringing in that practitioner that's going to, um, you know, teach everything well so that the actor is personally safe and then artistically they can give their all. Before the very brave women coming forward for the Weinstein allegations, and then the subsequent Me Too and Time's Up events, the aspect of an actor's emotional and psychological injury, while it was spoken about constantly, you know, by so many actors always, you know, saying an, an intimate scene is anything from awkward, you know, to feeling a little bit harassing, to feeling downright abusive. That injury is emotional and psychological. Um, and that can actually have way more long-lasting and devastating effect than you know just going over on an ankle but that wasn't really listened to and heard before the me too event and and so 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 all of those aspects went that that that, that this aspect in the industry both like i say in this tv and film was just left as this gap of the actor having to just get on on with it by themselves and without and and the director to get on with it without you know just the awareness of actually it is also a body dance that has a risk and actually we have practitioners who can bring that professional process and bring professional clear choreography so that everybody can make the work you know serving the storytelling you know to the best of everybody's ability. I think that's really important to, to name that as well of the, the high risk part um, of their, their people's jobs so but what happens then when, when it gets even muddier then when you're choreographing choreographing scenes of assault or non-consent you know is it harder or easier or different to when you're doing consensual scenes bearing in mind that that overall risk is going to be there anyway yes so a few things so yes it is um the 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 um concern is heightened you know when you're asking actors to, to step into playing either the perpetrator or the victim Yes, that dynamic has a charge, isn't it? So that, that abusive quality. 
But, you know, and again, as you hear, the work is about interrogating the script. Why is that scene there? How is it pushing the storytelling forward? So when those scenes are absolutely important, you know, and, you know, to, to be there for the storytelling, then it's really important that we honour it. But absolutely. So first of all, I'm flagging that. Um, what I do, what I put in place as my best practice as a practitioner is I can say, you know, in my check-ins, I can, you know, check out with an actor. What are your requirements? You know, what is OK for you? What's outside of your requirements? What's beyond your boundaries? So I can listen to that and make sure that whatever that is, be it quality of touch, degree of nudity, degree of simulated sexual content is listened to. Um, but then also, you know, just if someone might be um, triggered by any aspect of it, I can perhaps recognize that, but then I co-work with an artist wellbeing practitioner um, and who is a practitioner who is able to support an actor both um, emotionally and psychologically. And there's a practice, um, there's, there are several, you know, obviously intimacy, um, sorry, artist wellbeing practitioners in the industry. I work particularly with a lady called Louise Platt, Lou Platt. Um, and um, so they then, you know, I can go, okay, I recognize that you're challenged in this place and I recognize co-working either. I check out if they might have somebody um, to support them emotionally and psychologically, or I will offer that they um, co-work with, with um, the artist wellbeing practitioner. Um, so, so that's putting up safeguard fundamentally. And then when we come to work on the scene, again, that interrogation, making sure that the dynamic is understood, but then it's even more important to make sure that the physical choreography is absolutely nailed down. And that sometimes, depending on what it is, I'll perhaps just do that myself, or I'll co-work with the stunt coordinator. And again, of course, that you're putting in moments of, um, you know, if there's moments of, of you know, abusive touch, you know, someone's help pinning someone's down, perhaps pinning a hand down. Again, you're going to use reverse energy where the person who's doing the pinning is just a holding a frame and the person who's being done to is actually the performer who's in control of the energy so someone's holding an arm they're just going to hold that like that and then the person who's being held will control that energy so that then in the in the energy and the flow of the performance that the person who is being done to the character is being done to is actually in control of it but that takes even more really clear choreography practicing it so that physicality is really anchored so that they, all the actors feel utterly, utterly safe within that. And then in the release of the performance, then they can give their all as either the perpetrator or the victim. Which sounds so lovely to, to see. Um, I'm going to go over to Charlotte there. Yeah, so, Ida, one of the things that has always fascinated me in hearing you talk about your work is how many different people you are coordinating. And I love that phrase of interrogating the script. Now, having myself been a feminist theater scholar, practitioner, and educator for many years, I know that interrogating the script is not always met with by joy or receptivity by people, particularly when asking these really difficult questions about why and how we stage sexual violence. So can you talk about what it's like to coordinate that many people on, on set in terms of the people that you're working with and whether sometimes you meet with resistance in terms of the thinking into these kinds of representation in the way that you described, which is so joyful and. Oh. So, so, um, so, um, yeah, so as you recognize, this is the, this is the role, you know, and that's where um, when people or when the role is sometimes called an intimacy coach, it's like, no, we're not a coach, we're not working one-on-one, -on -one. Um, it is important that the, the role is a coordinator and it is absolutely that and that's the body of the work, you know, the work on that the day on set sits on 
all of that communication that's gone on. So, um, so Charlotte, when you say, you know, who are you talking with on the day on set? All of that's been been put in place. And that's, you know, so in our risk assessments, you know, as I share with my, you know, practitioners, um, you're basically showing how you have set about mitigating the risk. You know, so I had a scene one time that my one of my ladies um, was doing a risk assessment and she'd send it off and she goes, oh, well, I'm really worried about them being warm. I'm going, well, if you're really worried, that's a risk. And it was that in your risk assessment. And what have you done to mitigate that risk? So, so it is that we're serving the director. Sorry, yes. But then before that, we're serving the producer. We're putting in place best practice across the whole production. Listening to the director, then to the actors. Then we're going to the wardrobe department. And, um, and yes, communicating with them about, you know, what's the character costume? Then what the modesty garments are, what each actor requires regarding modesty garments. Um, is somebody going to be, is it outside? Um, you know, is somebody going to be cold? Then we'll go to go to the set um, manager and make sure a hot room is set up. Um, is it going to be in water? We'll go to the special effects people and make sure that the, um, you know, just, and again, we're not stepping in on their work, but just part of being the overall knitting together to make sure that everything has been put in place well. Um, so, so checking with the special effects that the that the water has been prepared, that it's hygienic, you know, you can't just have water out of a tap, you know, it has, normally you have these amazing like meter square um, sort of plastic tubs that they put the water in and then it's, it's treated with, you know, the right pH balance and chlorine and then it's heated to the right temperature. So you've checked out with the actor, what temperature do you want? Um, you know, can, can you imagine having to have a shower with freezing cold water? You can't act the scene, you, you know, because you're just personally freezing. So anyway, checking with the first AD. First AD is absolutely practiced and used to holding a closed set, but then I'm co-checking in with them to make sure that that close set, that, that we're an ally together, you know, supporting that closed set, making sure all the monitors are going to be turned off, putting in place a timeout. Um, so, um, so all of that works. So, and, and then um, um, I just had someone contact me about, should, should you be working with the cinematographers? We do, we absolutely do, because of course what we choreograph in a scene is one thing, but where the camera is placed is, is, is then the other aspect of it. That's part of the choreography. And the same scene can be made um, very empowering and, um, you know, and are telling a beautiful storytelling for an actor or can be made incredibly vulnerable making. Um, you, did you see recently, you know, Sharon Stone talking about, you know, that moment on Fatal Attraction when uncrossing and crossing her legs and to hear, you know, I remember even as a teenager watching that for the first time, like, whoa, that is full on. Um, but um, to hear now, just only literally, wasn't it, in the last couple of months, her speaking about the fact that, you know, she was basically lied to, you know, and she was coerced into taking her underwear off and she didn't know where the camera was placed. Um, so that's where, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the preparation time, I always say to the directors, um, you know, not just tell us your vision, but then write, draw out the storyboards. You know, because because then that's where you're incorporating not just what the choreography is, but where the camera is placed. Um, and um, yeah, so you can hear that all of that preparation, all of that connections with all of those different practitioners is all what goes into the role of the intimacy coordinator and what makes the work robust. And then that's anchored in a risk assessment that goes to the production and goes out with a call sheet. So then everybody can see what has been put in place in order to mitigate that risk. Yes, Alex. Um, that's one thing I'd really be interested in wondering is that what say when you're watching a sex scene in a film or especially in an older film, can you 
tell sometimes maybe if someone's been sufficiently prepared because even when you were talking about Sharon Stone there one thing that came to mind is that kind of infamous scene in the film Last Tango in Paris where it came out then where if anyone knows it it's like the butter scene and it's quite unpleasant to watch and then to find out later on that actually the actress herself had such a negative experience there and I'm curious do you because I'm sure like industry professionals can watch films and can watch content and be like oh that's not done right that's not done right can you tell when maybe someone hasn't been sufficiently prepared or whenever a scene hasn't had an intimacy coordinator on set so so um you know my, my sense is you know I remember sort of as kids we would sit and watch an intimate scene and we'd be squirming because it would feel really embarrassing and feeling really awkward so I really do believe that when we as an audience were squirming because it feels awkward and, and unpleasant and horrible is actually what we're feeling of the actor's uncomfortableness. And, and I think that, you know, that's a good indicator. If you're sitting and then starting to feel uncomfortable in the response in your body, then I would say pretty much then you can imagine that actually that's the actor's experience. You know, and what I'm looking for is that the actor can personally feel open, autonomous, you know, free, you know, having a free actor so that then they can serve the character. So the character might be awkward, you know, and, and be playing that and, you know, tongue-tied and all the rest of it. So of course, with the scenes and normal people, there was a lot of the character's stiltedness and awkwardness, but the actors personally were listened to, you know, empowered, everything happening that was within their agreement and consent, and then they can play that. Sex education in, in a particular, you know, season one, so, you know, most of it is, isn't it, about our first time encounters. And, um, and about the awkwardness of all of those, you know, sexual encounters. But again, you know, I feel that, you know, that programme, that was the very first programme that I was invited into as an intimacy coordinator. <clears throat> and, um, and so what was joyous was being able to have the actors feeling listened to and taken care of. So then they were able to, so then we as an audience, I hope, you know, can stay feeling open and free as the actors are and then enjoy the character's awkwardness and enjoy the fun and the humour of that. So that's what I feel I'm looking out for. Um, and then the other thing I'm looking out for is, is, is the detail of the choreography. Is, is the anatomy of this intimate counter actually telling me a truthful story that I believe that, you know, that encounter is actually reading right? And as soon as for me, it doesn't read right anatomically, I'm out of there, you know, it, it disconnects me. I go, well, that's not believable, you know, so now nothing, none of it's believable. Do, do you find that? Yeah, I think, well, speaking of anatomy, like it seems very gendered. There are a lot of breasts out there in Hollywood and TV, less male full frontal nudity. So do you think that um, there is that gendered pressure there for, for women to, to be a lot more naked than men? Or, you know, if normal people it was the first time we, a lot of us like really saw that full frontal male nudity and it's such a shock sometimes because we're not used to it. Um, do you think that'll increase going down the line? I, I think it has increased going down the line already. And, you know, and a lot of the productions that I'm working on are very consciously saying we want parity in what's asked of both our actors in their nakedness um, and in their sexual, you know, um, encounters. Um, and I think that's really important, you know, and, and um, um, yeah, so, 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 the, so that we, you know, we redress that balance, as it were, because I think it has historically been, you know, before the role of the intimacy coordination, before being able to really interrogate, okay, what's this moment about? And do we need this nudity? What's that nudity telling us? You know, someone taking their clothes off. And before, 
you know, the artistic interrogation of the scene and then going, and then therefore what physicality is going to tell that storytelling and then the nakedness or nudity or some sexual content is only going to be choreographed that honours what we've spoken about. Yeah, so in that place, then we can really consider artistically what's required of, of our, you know, of all, you know, male, female, trans, queer, whatever. And I think historically in the default and also what has been the default before now is a default male gaze. Um, and that's also what's really lovely. I need to, you know, in that statement, there is nothing wrong with a male gaze, you know, if that's consciously the storytelling and the gaze that wants to be told, great. But is it the male gaze, you know? And I and um, what's been absolutely fantastic in the last few years is, you know, how many female writers, female directors, and stories being told from the female gaze. And, and, and for me, what's interesting, you know, I've been on a production where um, it was supposed to be from the female protagonist's um, storytelling, but it was a male director. And, um, and one of the female writers was, um, I was sat with them sort of on monitor. And the male director, um, it sort of kept on having the female in profile and still had the male um, sort of in full face. So it basically still tells you that it's the, it's, it's the, the male character's storytelling. And you know that the writer was sat next to me going, no, 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 you know, it's her story. Put put the camera full front. So it's she's the one that's telling the story. She's so not in profile. And you could see that this male director didn't have a clue. Actually, his like the unconscious bias and, and unconsciously how um, they were um, constructing the shots. Um, and and so, so that's what we need to open out to so that we consciously are making sure that where we place the camera is telling the story from, from the gaze that we really want. One thing I'd be curious about is that have you noticed a change maybe in those kind of conversations about how on set maybe how male nudity and how female nudity are even received because we're talking about it's kind of great that we're seeing a lot more male full frontal nudity and that maybe women were much more expected to be more vulnerable and expose themselves on screen but I'm also reminded of a documentary I saw a couple of years ago I might have the name wrong but I think it was called NC17 and I was talking about how in scenes where you show female pleasure like more explicitly like if there's even any allusion to a clitoris or any allusion to woman's specific pleasure in a sex scene it gets a much higher rating and then obviously um especially in America maybe if you've got a higher rating less people are going to see it so it kind of it would then change the kind of sex scenes that we saw and then the idea of what of the idea that we have of what sex looks like because obviously we can only be shown this very narrow view and have you noticed maybe those conversations changing a bit or are they getting a bit more liberal or what's that like um well yes opening out to female pleasure and female pleasure being part of what's discussed and 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 um and shown and you know explored and celebrated um and then more than that just the whole paraphernalia of the female cycle you know, and and how and how our cycle, you know, you know, um, you know, you know what what our what our daily lives are, you know, with our flow and you know journey through our menstrual lives, um, which is where you know you you ask a question about what's one of my favourite scenes, but that's where um <clears throat> the, the period sex scene in I may destroy you, I'm so proud of that, you know, and again, you know, that's that's Michaela Cole, all hail she is utterly utterly extraordinary it's her writing it's the detail of her writing it's her bravery 
in as a woman writer, you know, um, engaging in the, the detail of our menstrual cycle. So, you know, before that sex scene, you see her, you know, going to the loo, chatting away with her girlfriend, getting ready for the night out, putting her makeup on, on the loo, taking out, you know, a used pad, putting that, you know, putting in a, a new pad. Thank God, you know. You know, and then this character talking about having a heavy flow and using a tampon as well as a pad. And it was um fantastic, you know, when I was um then talking the actor, the beautiful and gorgeous Mawan, who played Biagio, um, through the beats of the scene. Um, obviously it didn't need to talk Michaela through it, she wrote it. Um, you know, he was going, Really? Really does this happen? And uh, what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. When someone's got a heavy flow, you need to use a tampon and a pad. Oh, really? Really? You know, so so um so, so opening out to all of it, to all of our female experience of our sensuality, our sexuality, our self-pleasure, um, our menstrual cycle and making it normal and making it, you know, part of, you know, what we explore. Again, I was so proud and it's so important. The, the masturbation montage um, of Amy Lou Wood's character, isn't it? In, um, in Sex Education, the first season, um, you know, when she was exactly that, looking to porn in order to get her education then trying to emulate that. And finally, her, you know, her beautiful partner um, um, saying, what do you like? What do you want? And she goes, I haven't got a clue, you know, and um, and, you know, the celebration of that scene. And actually, I have to tell you, one of the drama schools in Dublin, when I came across recently, um, you know, I, I had. I'd actually come from seeing Amy Lou at, in a play that she was doing in at the National Theatre and then flew across to Ireland to, to Dublin to, to teach this work at one of the drama schools. And um, she was saying that she get, was getting at that time about 100 um, messages a day for how um, impactful that scene had been on so many women, giving them permission to explore themselves in a free and open and positive way. And like I say, and then I come over to, to Dublin and sharing the work and I equally had a student bounding up to me and she said that scene has changed my life so that's the impact of it and um and you know that's how important it is and joyously there's more and more of that writing happening and um and yeah so and there's there's more scenes to come in different productions that I've been working on in the last few, few years <laughs> so you know I mean when I hear you talk I mean obviously you work with some of the most exciting enlightened conscious intellectual rigorous amazing people out there and projects in the last several years but like I suppose for me there is that part and it's cynical is the wrong word but just realistic but of course the whole industry has not transformed overnight and one of the things that I love so much about your work is not only the sex positivity and the joy but like the intellect and the rigor and the just like taking no shit right and we can say that here do you find, I suppose, you know, and, and not naming any names or anything, like, do you find, so there's an open door for the work in some cases, such as with Michaela and the team on Sex Ed and, and Lenny and the, the teams on those projects, but but have you found resistance to your work? And, and do you still find, you know, the kinds of dynamics that Alex was talking about, where, you know, the way that we depict sex and et cetera, leads to bigger profits and so on, those kinds of you know, the industry hasn't totally transformed in those areas either. So what resistance have you encountered? Where do you think we need to do the work and in, in where things are kind of entrenched? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. That just because the industry post Me Too and Time's Up said we have to do better, we can't turn a blind eye to predatory behaviour, doesn't mean that that's what happens across the board. You know, a whole, you know, swathe of humanity across the globe doesn't suddenly all go, yes, of course we must. So basically... No, I've absolutely, basically them being 
the receiving end of what the actor would have received in the past. Um, and um, and it actually hit critical mass, sort of like, and interestingly, so, so 2018, the productions, you know, those, um, um, well, first of all, even in those Sex Education, Gentleman Jack and Watchmen were the first productions I did in 2018. And, you know, I was learning how the work integrated into a whole production. Um, and with Sex Education, when I first met with John Jennings and Ben Taylor, that was a conversation we had. I said, look, I've developed, been developing this process and the, the work now since 2014. I've been teaching it in drama schools and in the industry for three years. But this is the first time that I'm going to be delivering it with you to support this production across a whole production. So we're going to have to just work it out and see how it goes. So one of the first mistakes is, well, not mistakes, but you know, what we're bringing in is this is a body dance. So just like a, like a, a you know, a choreography of a tango or a fight, you have to rehearse. So making time to rehearse and where we're going to put that, fit that in. Um, and, um, and, you know, one of the first scenes I did on sex education. Um, so we were rehearsing it in the flow of the filming day. It was a full on sex scene with like, you know, six or seven big moves, you know, and, um, and, and the whole process of, agreeing touch and then then um choreographing really clearly and then finding the flow in that so with so many moves by the time we just agreed touch with all the moves the director said right done i'm going no we've just agreed touch you know because one step is on the top and then the trivia and then another flip and i'm saying no now we need to choreograph it and it's like well we've run out of time now so so those kind of things it's like you know and then it all gets sticky and and the crew's all standing around too long and um so those kind of things and then gradually developing let's rehearse in the cheap time let's rehearse when the crew aren't standing around let's rehearse either in a pre-production time or i'll come in a day before and we'll rehearse you know when the crew have gone home on wrap or i'll come in which we ended up doing mostly with sex education um so so there's that that kind of resistance or just or just finding out how, how it works but then also absolutely there's been many times that um that the big producer has, you know, said we've got to have this now because this is what the industry is asking for. But actually, everybody on the ground doesn't want it. You know, I've got an empowered, you know, mid seventies director who's absolutely got the most incredible string of, um, you know, um, credits, and um, and he's got short shrift with it. And he, you know, and I'm told by the producer, don't speak to the director. Only speak to the first AD, and as your choreography, will have none of it do like a stunt coordinator does, stand back and do nothing. So in that situation, am I able to implement just what I've spoken to you about, about how the work works? No, of course I can't. So then I'm trying to, to put it, to shoehorn it in, in the gaps. And, and on that particular production, finally, the, you know, the actress has said, we now need to choreograph this. And I'm saying, yes, we do. So the director goes, okay, choreograph it. And within two minutes two seconds of me starting to give beats of you know if we can you know hands on waist one two kneel down three four whatever it was you know he comes and goes you're directing them oh for god's sake just let her act it was what he said so it's so those and that was that was really hard it's hard for me to take and i stepped away from that and i had to do you know a fair bit of work on myself to sort of regroup reset reset my boundaries you know re-offer getting through as best as I can. You know, I promised those actors that I would support them, but in that shortfall, then how can I do that? So absolutely. And there have been, um, as I say, interestingly, if it sort of got to critical mass in you know, 20, the beginning of 2020, just before lockdown, where there seemed to be more and more of those productions where I was called on board 
and then actually the work wasn't wanted they, they just wanted a tick box and it was really really challenging and um and then interestingly then with lockdown and then you know everything paused for a while and in that gap came out normal people you know it's a sin i may destroy you and interestingly those productions that have hit the zeitgeist are also as it happens the productions that have listened to what i've offered as i shared it with you taken it on board put it all in place with respect with joy with openness and we've all worked openly and creatively to make this work that you have seen as impacted in the world so yes it is interesting and um uh, you know and 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 I'm you know so, so fundamentally it's a lot easier there are still productions that I go to that you know that you have an, a, a director who doesn't really understand what I can bring or, or doesn't understand the, the collaboration you know that it's not heading on their toes you know that um and um and actors that think well I've done loads and loads of sex scenes and so I don't need this and then the sex scene hits off and I haven't been invited or given the time and space to work collaboratively and to choreograph. And then suddenly the rhythm's not reading right, but I haven't been given the opportunity to, to share. So I'm still dealing with that. And, and you know, it's fine. It's early days, really, really. Um, and um, yeah, but, but it's fundamentally really, really positive. Yeah, that, that sounds like just so frustrating. You're like, I'm almost at the table. And then there's just that, that bit of resistance as well. And I'm glad you, you brought up um, I May Destroy You Again, because it's just it's just such an incredible piece of work. And yeah, Michaela Cohen is just an absolute legend. But what I think is really notable about that that series is that as well, it, it's her experiences. And obviously she's writing as a black woman. And we have to look at how race plays a part in these conversations as well, because um, you know, racism and sexism, it's a double whammy for, for black um, female actresses um, and trying to get their voices heard. And I'm sure, you know, there's there's a lot of onset experiences that, that white people wouldn't have and people of colour have to deal with as well. So have you noticed anything, any any kind of positive developments in, in that area as well? I know um, Michaela obviously would have um, been quite open to your work on, on her set as well, but um, we can't all be Michaela Cohn as much as we would like to be. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, working on a production at the moment where um, <clears throat> there, there's one, um, a, you know, character of colour and um, and that actor commented that unless he he had specifically asked, which he did, to have them practitioners around him of colour, that he would have might have ended up being um, the only person of colour on that production. Um, so, um, so it's really important and it really is happening that there is way more inclusivity of, of all genders and, and abilities as well. That's so, you know, people with different um, abilities being invited in, um, you know, as both people of the crew, you know, practitioners of the crew and, and cast. I've just worked on a fantastic um, production um, that is um, the protagonist, the, the lead um, are um, two actors with Down, the characters are two actors with Down syndrome played by two, um, actors with Down syndrome and uh, yeah it's really really fantastic and of course you know there um then there's extra considerations that you need to put in place and extra support you need to put in place and and the way in which you work but th th those kind of things are in so incredibly positive and very exciting um and um but yes yeah we need to continue you know sort of thankfully I was talking to a um you know a, a black director and he was saying that he feels that the pendulum swung so much that way that there's so much um so many productions happening right now that are focusing on you know 
people from the you know the black community and their storytellings and and um so it should be yes you know as it is you know just bringing that pendulum right over and opening that out and then um and um and um and supporting that but and then we need to open it out further you know you know people you know more storytellings about queer uh, male queer queer female intimate content and then our trans community and the trans community in particular i, I feel the, the queer male and female storytellings have opened out um but um but the trans community is still sort of like sort of you know sort of in that journey to to really be able to to, to be given its voice um that's i i spoke to a, a queer trans performer on my podcast a while a while back and they were saying they were an actor on some mainstream tv show and they were just misgendered the whole time they were like this story is just terrible um i don't really feel like you know i'm i'm celebrated in this kind of role and then they did queer porn and felt that actually that was really affirming for them and they could be um who they wanted to be as well and I know a, a lot of the time the conversations are on like oh porn is so awful and everything else but like you're you're telling us there like mainstream tv has a lot to answer for as well when it comes to stereotypes and uh, and all the isms that we have yes no absolutely and I'm both myself and all my practitioners, you know, to continually educate ourselves, you know, with regarding, you know, the language, you know, that the, the, you know, the um, our pronouns, how we, how we, you know, not assuming, checking out what how people want to be called, um, and that works both ways as well. I also had, you know, an actor who had worked recently with with someone, um, who who was um, non-binary, but but they felt felt it challenging because they felt that then they weren't allowed to offer themselves in, in a binary way you know so, so there's much learning in all ways to actually open it out and have no assumptions and to and and to you know to just ask the question um of how you how you want to be um you know what, what your pronouns are um um yeah how we just need to continue as, as as human beings you know bringing that awareness you know my, my kids have just recently finished their journey through through school they're young um you know young, young adults now but um but they're the the acceptance of gender fluidity you know and then how each person expresses their sexuality with their partners their their um their you know freedom to to explore you know different kinds of relationships so different qualities and kinds of sexual relationships you're not um and not labeling themselves in only one place is really positive and I think you know you know as, as, as our young people ripple out into into the industry then hopefully that will continue but us you know myself and I will be considered like someone that's of a granny level um you know equally needs to keep opening out and keep educating ourselves and that's absolutely what we're doing and I don't get it right all the time you know it's you know yeah and it's, it's something that's really important that we keep exploring and um, Eva I'd love to know as well what maybe because you've talked a lot about the challenges but like what is the most fun part of your job that you think might really surprise viewers to know about like something that no one thinks about when they're watching a sex scene but maybe that you quite enjoy well I suppose I'll tell you that the fun part is is when <clears throat> you've got people who've perhaps been a bit prickly and a bit nervous and then when everything's been put in place well and um 
and there's that freedom and openness because everybody's feeling taken care of that that then in the moment within the creation of the scene that you can you know have those conversations can be taken care of then the fun that we have and and um you know that the laughter and the ease you know and um I actually had a the most beautiful director um recently the um that 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 she was going come on come on I normally work from fear we're having far too much fun today you know and um you know so 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 that's what's joyous is is when you know when the work's been in, interrogated the details have been looked at and then everybody is just open and free and that's not just the performers but the crew as well there's that sense of ease then and it just becomes a normal day of work um and then people having jokes and having a laugh in the right way um that's that's when you go and you step away from from those days and you feel we've done a really good day of work everybody's felt you know empowered listened to and happy and then we know that we've all created something that that could have been really awkward um so that's yeah and and and, and um I was doing a scene a couple of um months ago with um with two young teenagers and again, their concern is like, you know, they've never kissed anybody before, let alone somebody. And they've co-worked with this fellow actor for two years. They've been really good friends. How do we do this? And all that nervousness. And, um, and you know, not just there, but also the close set. Who's going to be watching? So putting all that in place. And then when I left on that day, again, really good day, beautiful actors. And, you know, that the scene becomes so, that the, the moment of intimacy then becomes just part of the arc of this beautiful emotional storytelling. It just becomes simply, it's simple and easy. And it's just in, in that flow. And the, the first idea said, well, it was easy. I don't know what the fuss was about. But you see, the thing is, it's only simple and easy because all that has been put in place. Um, and that is, you know, and that's what you want. You know, people say to me, oh, what, what happens when, the actor says on the day on set, you know, I don't want this or I don't want that. And I'm saying, I promise you really, that 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 now doesn't really happen because you've done all that preparation. You've been able to listen to the actors. They've been able to freely offer their boundaries, really freely share their requirements. The choreography then has been, you know, we've reflected that back to the director. The choreography has been considered around those requirements so that everything has been created fundamentally is within the actor's agreement and consent and the choreography has been created that serves the storytelling. And that's what we're looking for is that you put it all in place so that by the time we come on set, there's a parity, everybody feels listened to and heard, there's an understanding about what we're gonna do, there's a joy in wanting to tell this physical storytelling and then we can release them for a really good day on set. Fantastic. That's an excellent note to, to finish up on because I think that's just so lovely and positive. And it just shows, yeah, the simple things will just, they're not simple, but they are simple, but we will change the world through small actions and with lovely people like yourself going forward. So thank you so much for your time today. And where can people find you if they want to follow along with all the fabulous work that you are doing? Yes, please do. Please go to my website, um, intimacyonset.com. Um, also, the, the Intimacy Onset guidelines are there and we're gradually translating them into different languages as well. Um, that's really important. So they're accessible if you're um, in a production. Um, yeah, sort of, you know, that want an intimacy coordinator, please contact me. If you want to educate yourself, please have a look at the guidelines. There's also a Guardian film out, Stage Sex, if you look at that. Um, and um, and also if you have like a short film or something, you're a student and you want um, someone but perhaps don't have the budget, please do contact me because um, I'm just starting up my next um, 
group of of um of training of intimacy coordinators and um what i'm looking out for in that gradual journey to be fully accredited is that they get they gain experience um which means you know starting off with like low budget so so um you know so uh, um a production that perhaps doesn't have the budget can still have an intimacy coordinator um, who's giving them the support of that, but it's giving those those training intimacy coordinators the opportunity to start putting the work in practice. So please do contact me, and um, and also I just want to say, um, you know, you know, being in contact with Shavona Higgins, your work that you're doing with Active Consent is so <clears throat> is so utterly fantastic. Um, it's so positive and impactful, um, and it's been an absolute um, joy and delight to meet with um, Siobhan and our continuing relationship. And um and I'm really um proud and and um you know um grateful for you calling me in and it's been great to have this conversation with you. Oh, we're gonna melt now. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And on speaking of active consent, Alex, where can you find us? So you can find us at Active Consent on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we're always posting about consent every day of the week because consent is an everyday conversation and I have consent of the Green Line podcast and thank you so much Ida this has actually been such a fantastic conversation it was so it was so much better than I even could have hoped for and my hopes are so high and yes we've really enjoyed all the work that we've been able to do with you thank you thank you so much Brilliant. wish you all the best take care Bye-bye. thank you so much and for everyone listening if you want to check out all our previous episodes you can find them wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to rate and review that really helps get the word out about the podcast you can do that on apple and spotify now as well so like alex said you can find us all over social media you can find us on consenthope.ie as well if you want to drop us a line and we look forward to chatting next time <laughs>